Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We're, we're on a series called Good Roots, and um, we're going to start talking about the local church today. Start talking about the local church today. So if you could advance to the next slide, brother, I have no idea what it's going to be, but let's, uh, let's see what it is. We'll experience this together. Ah, the church, the church. I think I just mentioned we were going to talk about that, the church. Now, <clears throat> we've discussed this in the past, and I don't want you all checking out on me if you've been in a service where you were taught what the local church was, right? Don't check out. Don't be like, oh, I've heard this all before. No snooze, right? No hitting snooze. Uh, you know how I wake my son up now? He's 16. He's got an iPhone. And so I go to the find my iPhone because he doesn't answer his texts. And if you call him, he's not hearing the ringer. I don't know if he's got it on silent, but you can't silence the, the notification when you hit find my iPhone. And it's like, bing, bing. And it does that until... I don't know, until it gets tired, and I watch it and see how long it takes him, and then he shuts it off, and then I hit it again, just to make sure that he's up, and then I watch it, and he shuts it off a little quicker. I'm like, okay, we're getting there now, so don't make me ping your phones. I, I, I can't, but wouldn't that be awesome if I could? So we're going to talk about the church, so don't check out on me. Check in, right? Let's, let's, let's focus here. So what is a church? It is a gathering. It's a called-out gathering for a purpose, and if you've been in church for a long period of time, you've probably heard the Greek word, as if it really matters to you, because uh, you don't speak Greek, so why do we care? But the original word is ecclesia, and it literally means they called out a gathering together for a purpose. And of course, the purpose is to worship Jesus. And we're going to talk about the marks of a good church as we get through uh, going through this series. But this is a gathering. The universal church is being called out but it's not gathered together yet. The universal church is, is being called out, but it's not assembled. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be assembled when Jesus raptures the church prior to what is referred to as the tribulation. And that is to say that those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain, we will be caught up together. That's the gathering together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's not only the great reunion, that's the gathering of the universal church. Well, until then, the church is represented by gatherings, gatherings. So the word church, the word that's translated church is used 110 times, and I don't do this a lot, uh, count numbers, and, but this, this is remarkable. 110 times the word church is used in the New Testament. That's pretty cool. 110 times. And, and you might say, well, wh what about this word? What about that word? I'm not, I'm not going to get into the other words. I, I want to highlight just one thing for you. As I've been online and, and I've been part of these, uh, some of these silly Facebook groups that like to peddle false doctrine and, 
and I don't need a church, and there's no such thing as pastors and God's churches and vocational ministry, and I just go wherever the Spirit leads me, and, and I, I'm, that bothers me because it's so unbiblical. But they sound really spiritual when they say that. But out of the 110 times that the church is mentioned in the New Testament, 95 times it's being used as a plural, meaning churches, right? To the churches in Macedonia, okay? Uh, or it's being used referring to a local church. So people sometimes, they struggle understanding the importance of the local church because there's a lot of great churches around, aren't there? I think there are. I have a pastor's prayer meeting that I, that I, I serve with, and we, we pray for each other and encourage each other, and I meet with three other pastors in the area. Two of them are in Hookset, and one is in Candia. And, and prior to that group, before we split and created two groups, uh, there was another guy that was ministering in Hookset, and now he's at what used to be referred to as MCC down the street. It's now called One Church. Mike Goff, great personal friend of mine. There's, there's good pastors and there's good churches. And so sometimes people say, well, the universal church is important and I don't have to have a local church. It doesn't matter where I go to church. But it seems to matter to God. The local church was vitally important. Important enough that it was mentioned 95 times in the New Testament, I can give you the scriptures, but then we won't get out of here till two. But you can do a simple search online. Go to the, go to the um, Logos or uh, Blue Letter Bible or Bible.org and, and just do a search for the word church. And you'll see all the times that it's listed. And then go to those separate listings and see, okay, what, what does he say? What is going on? I don't even know why there's a video behind that. That's bizarre. We have a guest here from Texas today. He's a master planner. We're going to be looking at our property and seeing how we can best use our property for the ministry that we are now and the ministry we hope to become. And so, of course, this would be happening. So, Jonathan, just, I, I would say it never happens, but... It's more like it happens more than it doesn't, I think, sometimes. Technology is great until, it, until it's not. So, at any rate, you get the idea that the local church is very, very, very important to God. Very important to God. Well, I suppose we can attempt to take a look at whatever it is on that next slide, brother. Please don't be a video. It's some kind of video. Please be the right scripture. Okay, at least it's the right scripture. Can I get an amen for that? Uh, I'm going to open up in my, my notes app here, and that way I can know exactly what I'm talking about, although I shouldn't need them too much. So let's begin. Re Seriously? All right, shut that off. We're just going to go old school today, so... I put so much work into the presentation, but apparently God doesn't want you to see it. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, you should have your Bible, so you should have a Bible app if you don't have your Bible, and you should be ready to highlight and take notes. Um, I wasn't a pastor until I turned uh, 
I don't know how old I was, 32, 34. I, I worked a secular job until I was 29. So I was out there in the real world, doing real world things. And I was sitting in the seat where you are for all those years. And I can tell you this, highlighting and taking notes was so invaluable to me. Yeah, we're just going to shut it off because that video is just going to keep looping, bro. You, you, you might be able to, but you can't? Okay. Welcome to Emmanuel, the church of broken people. From the pastor, almost exclusively, to the pews. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. So, uh, and he said to them, but, but, but who do you, who do you who know me, essentially, who are with me, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." And so we talk about the law of first mention. So when we talk about the church, we want to look back and see where was it first mentioned? What can we learn from the first mention of the church? And, and this is where it's first mentioned, where Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, right? So ecclesia can be a, a called out gathering for, for any purpose, right? It could be an assembly for politics. It could be an assembly for quilting. It could be, you follow what I'm saying? Words only really have meaning when they're in context, Right? Somebody define the word bear to me. What does the word bear mean? What? I'm not going to spell it. You just got to tell me what you think it means. An animal? Perseverance, exposed, enduring, right? Without context, bear really doesn't have a whole lot of meaning, does it? So in one thing, you're bearing somebody's burden. On another thing, you're burying yourself on your wedding night, which is the only time you should be burying yourself in front of another person who is of the opposite sex. Of the opposite sex. Let me finish my thought. <laughs> this is what happens when my, everything falls apart. You never know where this is going to head. So words have meaning when they're in context. And so contextually, Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church it's my gathering. It's my assembly. It's for me. We gather together for him. The church belongs to him. And he's going to explain some incredibly encouraging truths that we're going to, we're going to dwell upon this morning. First, he's going to explain that, uh, Peter, who do they say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, you're correct. He is the seed that was promised to Eve in the Garden of Eden. When Eve and, and Adam fell, God had that difficult confrontation and conversation with them. And he told her that his seed, the seed that she would produce, that his, his heel would be bruised. 
but that he would crush the serpent's head. Jesus is the anointed one. He is this promised seed to Eve. He was the promised son of Abraham who would bring a blessing not only to the, the physical blood relatives of Abraham, not only to his prodigy, but to the whole wide world. Jesus is the blessing of Abraham, the promised son. He's the descendant of Judah who holds the scepter of royalty forevermore. He is the son of David whose throne will be established forevermore. He is the son of God and God the son. He is not a son of God. He is the Son of God. The church is His. He's the founder and sustainer of the church. It says in Hebrews, He is the author and finisher of our faith. What He began, He says in Philippians, He will be faithful to complete. That's good news. I don't know about you, but I need that news today. I haven't arrived. Has anybody arrived in their Christian life yet? Like, have you crossed the finish line? Are you, are you, are you standing in the full stature of Christ yet? I'm still on my way there. And I think most of you are as well. Well, I would say all of you, but I don't want to insult you. But I see you every week mostly. Folks, we have a promise from God that he's going to complete what he finished. And he said this, he will build his church. There's a sad thing in the world today, in the world of religion rather, and I find it sad because Churches and leaders seem to measure the success of churches using business standards. And there is, unfortunately, a business side to a church. You've got your treasury, you've got payables, income. But a church is not a business. It's not a business. It's a body. It's a bride. It's a family. It's a brother and sisterhood. And unfortunately, we see a lot of churches marketing themselves and trying to sell Jesus. I'm not trying to sell Jesus. I'm here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you need it. So do I. Um, but you can't buy Jesus, so how could I possibly try to sell him to you? He's a gift freely given. Our job as a church is to convince you that you need that gift. And when we talk about your need, that's the antithesis of selling sometimes, because we're going to tell you that you're a sinner, and that you're a mess, and that even though you're wealthy and you have it all together, we know you don't. We know you don't. In, in fact, we're, we're seeing that in our celebrities today. We just recently saw Will Smith slap Chris Rock. Some people say, yeah, a boy, defend your wife. And other people say, get some class and whatever. Reality is, He's an incredibly successful and wealthy man. But he's a broken person. Just like me. Just like you. 
I got caught up in the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial. I know it's silly. Like, why do I care? It's just kind of fascinating and sad. And here's a guy that has Penthouse One. They're, they're talking about, oh, where were you? Penthouse One. When he was at Penthouse One, da-da-da. When he was at Penthouse Four, this is a, When he was at the Hollywood Estate, da-da-da. This guy has more wealth than we could know what to do with. He's incredibly successful in the entertainment industry. And he's an alcoholic and an addict, and I think he's in recovery. And his wife was brutal. The whole story is incredible what's coming out, but what that should teach you is that success is not always what we think it is. So many people think, if I could just get a million dollars... Life would be so much easier. Life is not easier with a million dollars necessarily. Sometimes it gets far more, far more complex, far more complicated. What's your hope resting in? You know what Johnny needs? He needs Jesus. You know what Will needs? He needs Jesus. Now, can somebody with Jesus screw up that badly? Absolutely but we screw up with Jesus beside us who can pull us up out of that mess and who never lets us go and always has hope prepared for us. So the Bible says he will build his church. He will build his church. He uses people, but all we can do is plant the seed of the gospel and water the seed of the gospel. But we can't make it grow. Scripture says God gives the increase. That doesn't absolve us of the responsibility of planting and watering. And planting and watering. And that's a good question, isn't it? How many of you have been planting and watering? Celebrated Resurrection Sunday last week, right? Easter And I wonder how many in the church took one of those invite cards and left it somewhere for someone to find if you're terribly shy or handed it to a friend, a family member, acquaintance, or a stranger. How many in the church took that seriously? How many of you planted a seed the week before Easter? awfully quiet in here. We must plant the seed. We must water the seed, but God causes it to grow. He said this, death shall not prevail against the church. I love this. Death shall not prevail against it. So we talk about this. He said Hades, Hades will not prevail against the church. The realm of death. Death itself could not silence the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 through 28, it says this, but, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's those who have died in Christ, who have believed in him for their eternal salvation. 
For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and those who are in all power, he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, Then the Son himself will be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And then we drop down to verse 55. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death will not prevail against the kingdom of God, against the church of Christ. It's continued on and on through all of the ages because those who are truly in Christ, who have believed in Christ for eternal life, though we sleep, we will be raised. It's not a forever parting. It's a see you later. And there is hope. You can know that you have a home in heaven, that you have a relationship with God, not only as your creator, but as your father. And that is the hope that we have that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Death doesn't prevail against the church. You can't kill it. You might kill its members and they may sleep for a while. But the church will endure till the end. The church will endure to the end. Talk about persecution. I'm going to stop that church. I'm going to stop that church. Go to China and the church is exploding in revival. It almost seems the best way to stop a church is to to, to get a church going. Uh, To revive a church is to try to stop a church. Sometimes we get complacent. We get comfortable. We have our air-conditioned building. we We have our kids' ministries. We have our student ministry. We have all these wonderful things. But we become complacent and We just do church. Ever since I started coming to Emmanuel back in 1986 and came to Christ in 87, I I loathe doing church. It's something you are, it's not something you do. I can't stand fulfilling a religious obligation on a Sunday morning. Oh, it's time to go to church. Cultural Christianity is horrific. We need to be engaged. We need to be planting. We need to be watering. We need to be loyal to our church. Death cannot prevail against the the keys to the kingdom. What are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Why were they given only to Simon Peter? Well, this is the reality. Jesus gives them to those who make the same confession Peter made, those who know Christ as Savior. If you're a child of God, you have the keys as well as any person has the keys. The keys were a badge of authority of the office of the scribes who interpreted the scriptures to the people. Every Christian today has the scriptures and therefore the keys. If we withhold the word of God, we bind on earth. 
If we give the word of God, we loose on earth. No man or individual has the keys to the exclusion of all other believers. We have a responsibility today to give out the gospel because it's the only thing that can save people. Who is sufficient? Christ, who has the responsibility. You and I do. J. Vernon McGee wrote that. I love that old Bible teacher. Who has the keys to the kingdom? We do. We do. In fact, Jesus was really angry with people who had the scripture, but kept it to themselves. And he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You, you, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces for you don't go in and you don't allow those who are entering to go in. Are you a Pharisee today? Do you hold the, king, uh, the, the keys of the kingdom to yourself? Do you not share them with others? Church, this is a serious responsibility that we have. This is why we don't just do church. We are church. We are the called out gathering. We have the keys of the kingdom. And we're responsible. We're responsible. What else is the church? The pillar and ground of truth is the church. The pillar and ground of truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, these things, verse 14... These things I write to you, though, though I hope to come to you shortly. Then this is Paul writing a letter to his son in the Lord, Timothy, who is pastoring a church or beginning to pastor a church. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Hear me now. The pillar and ground of the truth, the key. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hold the keys of the kingdom. We are the pillar and ground of truth. And with that comes responsibility. What is the mystery that we proclaim? What is the, what is the mystery that he's talking about, the mystery of godliness? One, that God was manifested in the flesh as you continue through that passage. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus was the living representation, expression of the glory of God. He was God in the flesh, justified in the Spirit. Christ was also vindicated by the Spirit. He was declared acceptable to God in His sacrificial death for the sins of all people. He was proclaimed to be the Son of God through His resurrection and ascension to heaven. In Isaiah chapter 53, you see this mystery being played out. When the Bible says in Isaiah 53, He shall see His sacrifice, right? God shall see the sacrifice of the chosen one, and He shall be satisfied. That was a mystery in Isaiah, what does this mean? The prophets wondered as they read the scripture, what, what could this mean? What could this mean? And in the New Testament, the mystery is revealed. It means the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world to cover the sins of all who would call on him. 
to be their one and only Savior. That's the mystery of Isaiah revealed in the New Testament. He was seen by angels. In fact, he knew them and lived among them. He was preached among the Gentiles, this Jesus Christ. The Jews didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles or the Samaritans. They were the people of God. But the mystery was this. Abraham's seed would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Well, what did that mean? What did that mean? Well, it meant Christ is available as a Messiah, not only for the nation of Israel, but for all of us, for all the world. He was preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then he was received. He was received up in, up in glory. The disciples were having a conversation with Jesus in the book of Acts. And um, he gave them their marching orders. Talk about that next week, I think. And then he ascended. Ascended up into glory. And they stood there looking up at the clouds. Wouldn't you? If you saw someone who you worshipped on earth and had such a massive impact on your life that was dead and you knew he was you knew he was dead. And now he was risen and then he just starts floating up into the sky or I don't know if he was walking on an invisible staircase or ladder. I don't know. And then he's covered by a cloud. Seems reasonable that we might be going like this. How long would you be looking? Have you ever been in awe of something? I often talk about Niagara Falls. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. One of my bucket lists was going to Niagara and going to Rich Stadium. And you look at those falls, it's just awe-inspiring hearing the rush of the water. I went to a Patriots game. The Bills were playing them. And um, Gillette is a massive stadium. I'd never been before that game to a football stadium, like a legit NFL stadium. Patrick took me. I remember walking in there. Was that your first time too? Yeah. I was in awe. Um, the height of the, the decks. We, were, we, were just, we had great seats too. We were just like, And the noise, the noise, these fans would get up and they would smack the back of the seat in front of them, the whole stadium. It made your ears do this. It's amazing. Have you had an experience where you're just like, wow. New York City was on my bucket list. I remember going to New York City. Not the first time. That was miserable. That was when Trish and I were... Um, stranded as newlyweds uh, at a bus station. We were too scared to go out of the station and get lost in New York City. So we sat there for like eight hours. That's just ridiculous. I, I look at us now and I'm like, was I ever that stupid? Apparently, 20 is not that bright. But I remember when we went to New York City and just seeing the 
the buildings in Central Park. We went to the 9-11 memorial. It's a different kind of awe. When you see those chasms where the buildings stood, when you see the names of those who were lost cut out of that metal shelf all the way around, we went, remember when uh, Christmas time and the snow, it was snowing. And there was such an updraft from those caverns that it looked like the snow was going up in those two giant pillars of light. And it almost seemed like the souls of those who had departed were rising up out of that grave. It's amazing. I could just see these disciples. None of that compares to what the disciples had seen. They saw someone who was dead, raised to life. Not just any life. He wasn't like Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead and who aged and probably got sick and died later. It wasn't a temporary resurrection. He was raised in an indestructible body. A body that never knew sin. And then he floated away. So they're standing there looking. How many, have you had that awe of Jesus yet? How many of us have lost, how many of us have lost the awe? Now Jesus is my friend and my Savior. How many of us don't take advantage of communicating with him every day? I'm guilty of praying sometimes like it's a bother. I try to teach my kids that they're never a bother to me. I don't think I completely succeed, but I try. If they come in my study and somebody's there, I give them the time, and then I find out it's really something dumb. I'm like, guys, come on. Good Friday, we were here Good Friday, Nate had a concussion. Just before the service started, he's over in Hampton, almost an hour away. The athletic director's talking with Trish, talking with me, and he's, he's stuck in Exeter because the bus was leaving. Nobody could take him home. So we had a spring for an ambulance. Meanwhile, Good Friday service is in full swing. And I'm about to come and take the pulpit. And my phone rings. And it's the athletic director of Bow High School, which he plays for. And I'm like, I should probably take this. And so I walked out the side door and I, and I, I took the call because he's my son. He's not, import, he's not more important than Jesus. But I'm supposed to be like Jesus to him. You see? It wasn't a bother for me to find out what was going on with my boy. In fact, our worship team just stepped up and stepped in and didn't miss a beat. And we continued through the service and the church that was gathered was very gracious to me as I was incredibly distracted trying to walk through the rest of the message. This is Jesus. We don't bother him. We come to him. He is the son of God. He is the anointed one. 
We are his joy. Sit on that a spell here. In Hebrews, it talks about how he endured the cross, despising the shame because of the joy that was set before him. You are the joy that was set before him. Those of you that have heard the gospel or are hearing it today and have responded to that gospel call and believed on Jesus and cried out to him to be your personal savior once and for all and approached the throne of God and presented to him the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins that you know he is satisfied with. You are his joy. You're his joy. As a parent, I, I, I feel some of this, but imperfectly. I love my kids. I love to see smiles on their faces. I love to give gifts to my kids. I love to surprise them. We got a photographer for Chloe, and I managed to strike a deal. And so I was able to include videography with the photography package. And I told Trish, I'm like, don't tell her. Don't, I'm going to surprise her. I'm like, I'm going to surprise her because they're not expecting videography. Because can I tell you, weddings are crazy expensive. If you have daughters that are like two years old, start saving now. Start saving now. You might as well kiss retirement goodbye. Um, and then they're probably not going to take care of you when you get old. So we should rethink this whole paying for the wedding thing. Anyways, I digress. We, we, got the, we, got the, we got the photography package. That was my responsibility. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. And then like a couple of weeks ago, I'm starting to realize weddings in October. It's about six months away. I should probably make sure this is done by now. And then I started feeling pressure. So I got the package and I told Trish, let's... Don't tell her, I want this to be a surprise. And then later that day, her and Nick came into my study. They said, hey, guess what? And I ruined the surprise. It was supposed to be the day of the wedding surprise. It was going to be so awesome. And I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. I had to, I had to tell them. I had to tell them. Think about God the Father. He loves you perfectly. You're the joy of Jesus. This is what we have to offer the world. Forgiveness of sin. Eternal life. A relationship with the Father and the Son who adore us. Who treasure us. And look at us with joy. And we should look at them the same way. So this was the beginning of the church. This was the beginning. Some will argue that the beginning of the church was in the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost. I disagree. I think the beginning of the church was right here with Jesus, with his disciples. He called them out, gathered them to himself. And the church was empowered at Pentecost. In fact, Jesus said, I have to leave so the Holy Spirit can come. And fill everyone in the church. 
So, that's the beginning. When we look at these things that we've discussed today, we see that the church is an amazing thing to be a part of and an amazing thing to carry on. It's not an inconvenience, church. Your local church is not a bother. It shouldn't be. And if, if you're here today and, and you're thinking, oh, i got to go to church. Oh, there's something wrong with your heart. There's something wrong with your heart. I know your church isn't perfect. I've been to some other churches and I can testify that we're not the only one that's not perfect. Our founding pastor used to say, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't join it. Because as soon as you do, it will not be perfect any longer. That was Pastor Z. Churches are like families. They're full of flaws. They're full of brokenness. But they should also be full of love and companionship. We should have drive to plant the seed, to water the seed, to come together, to love one another well. I think it's a travesty when after church people get in their cars and leave without spending time talking to other people within their body, within the church. It's a travesty to come to church and be isolated. And you can blame the church if you want to. And I think sometimes our church does deserve blame, but may I remind you, You're the person saying, oh, it's not friendly, uh, and you're part of the church. You're part of the problem. If all you do is, do is notice what's wrong with your church, but you don't engage in trying to build it up and make it better, you're not fulfilling your responsibility. I had a, a, a young man ask me for a spiritual gift survey this week. I'm excited that people want to learn. They want to grow. I typically lean away from spiritual gift surveys because I think if somebody gives you a gift, you'll probably know it. Like when I asked Trish to marry me, and I got down on one knee. How old were we? 16, we were at 16, 18, and I unwrapped the little box, and I held it out to her, and I popped it open. She didn't have to take a survey. <laughs> She's like, oh, I wonder what my gift is. Is it the wrapper? Is it the bow? Well, the gift ended up being me. I mean, let's be honest. She didn't have to struggle to know what her gift was. But I do, I do think that there are some advantages to taking that survey because it shows a couple of things. It shows you want to know and you want to be used by God to build up your church. And it can give you some good ideas of where your gifting may lie. But I also don't believe that the gifts are, a, are an exhaustive list in the Scriptures. In other words, I don't believe that this is the only set of gifts. I believe if we only had one set of gifts, it wouldn't be referred to in three different passages with varying and different gifts in each passage. So I believe God's gifting is comprehensive and that you will know it 
Because there will be this supernatural uh, drive and joy when you're getting involved with your gift. And church, your gift is given to you so that you can build up your church. Some of you have the gift of evangelism. If you're not using your gift, you have a greater responsibility on you than others because God has given you a unique gift. Some of you are called to, to teach and we have some needs and, and you're not using your gift. You're not participating in the local church. You're just doing church. And God is not pleased with that. To be a part of a church is an amazing thing. It's an ama- I loved it before I was a pastor. I love it being a pastor. It's church. It's the body of Christ. And so faithfulness to your church, faithfulness to your church is not an option. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing. Thank you.